Hello, and welcome to Era 204, the podcast where we discuss theology from Reformed perspective and genuinely nerdy things where there's no content that you won't love. I'm Luke Denner. And I'm Mark Fromey. That was delayed. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to leave it like that. Just, oh, just to, that was good. Just to screw with everybody. Um, oh, on today's podcast, we are going to be talking about youth and their role in the church and, and kind of like what we think the biblical model for youth groups or, or youth um, ministries within the church is. And then we're also going to finally hopefully get into our favorite eras in the EU and our favorite books from the EU for Star Wars. And in case you don't know what EU is, that is Expanded, expanded. Yep. So, you know, like expand your mind. We're about to expand your universe. Um with that said, let's go ahead and get into two weeks. How has your week been, Mark? It's been good, dude. I mean, we... Uh, you got to see me, so it's been better than I most. did. <laughs> uh, my wife and I decided to drive down to southern Illinois. It was kind of... The the trip had kind of a twofold primary purpose. Um, one was just that it was going to be the last time Lindsay could really travel um, before before she has the baby and so like at this point it's and it was even kind of hard it was a taxing trip for her to make this time and so as the next couple weeks like the weeks go on as she's in the third trimester now it's just going to be um impossible for her to travel getting close that far dude super close it's crazy uh it's so exciting um so we wanted to just come go down and visit family and stuff one last time before we had the second reason was me no, um, that you were was like the first the, reason. You were like a tertiary reason of. Hey, I was the first reason. Too. Was okay. Me. Um. So, really, one of our our main motivations for going down there was, and you may have seen stuff about this if you're in the Facebook group, but uh, Saturday this past Saturday was my brother's 18th birthday, and so we thought it would be cool to go visit, like, be there on his 18th birthday. Um. But even more than that, we were, we were able to keep it a secret from him. So, like, everybody knew we were coming down to southern Illinois, uh, except for my brother. He had no idea. Like, I made a big deal about how I, I wasn't going to be able to get down there for his birthday and all this stuff. And so I helped you play that up, too. You did. Everybody, like, everybody did a good job at not not. It was a ton of fun, too. Like, too. every time they'd come up, we're like, oh, yeah, Mark, suck it. I'm going to be with Jake, and you won't be there. <laughs> Jake just oh, had yeah. no clue. Yeah, he had no idea, and so um, it was funny because we were playing, like, I was kind of planning, not really, but leading him to think we were going to do, like, this big online game night on Friday night before his birthday Saturday because I wasn't going to be able to travel and stuff, and so uh, we'll at least play games all night and that kind of thing, and uh, we he was started trying to, like, coordinate all of our friends to play games and everything, and... Uh, I knew that, like, everybody knew that I was going to be down there, so not much but, was made of it. Well, everyone uh, was like, oh, yeah, we'll be there. Like, we were playing yeah, along every, with Yeah, everybody, everybody played along with it. I started getting texts on my drive down being like, yeah, Jake has no clue that you're coming down there. And so I actually did a Facebook Live video as I got to my parents' house um, in the Facebook group when I where I walked inside and walked in the room where he was sitting there playing games with people. And oh man, the look on his face—he had absolutely no clue. It was so awesome. Oh, that's <laughs> it was great. super satisfying. And then it was—I mean, it was just fun to—we got to hang out all weekend and and do stuff with family and friends. And we got to see—I got to see you and 
Um, yeah, that was a blast hanging out with you and Jake on yeah, Saturday yeah, and smoking cigars. First time yeah. legally for Jake. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was a lot of fun. So uh, we had to induct him. Oh, yeah. We had to give Even him Even though we almost froze to death doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was cold. That's, dude, it's it's warmer up here. It's so weird. Yeah, I, it, we're, it, we're getting back up there. Yeah. Um, so we drove back last night. This is we're, what are we? This is Wednesday we're recording, right? So Yep, it's Wednesday uh, now. Yeah, last night I was able to, we drove back and hit some bad some bad snow on the way back, so it took us a little longer, but it wasn't too bad. And we were happy to be back in our own bed, and I was back at work like normal this week, or today, and um, all kinds of good stuff like that. So, you know, it was what it was, but we had a blast. It was it was a good trip. Good to be able to do that and um won't be able to do it again until after we have next time we make that trip we're gonna have a baby with us, so Awesome. Yeah. So. How how about you? How was your week? I mean it's been amazing. I mean we haven't recorded since since we found out that my wife is pregnant and so Yeah, dude. <laughs> haven't haven't gotten to talk about that yet, so that's really exciting. Well I guess um, we, we did record but not since I didn't know yet, that was before. About, uh, no, that was really did I know? Maybe I had just wasn't saying stuff yet. Anyway. Oh no! You know what? It was. It, we recorded the day of. The we day I found out. Morning, yeah. And you I found out, out that, that night. night. Yep. Yeah, dude. That's yeah. super exciting. I'm so I'm so pumped for you guys. Yeah, we're we're excited and and you know, we'll we'll chance to just take and say thank God for keeping them safe this Monday. My wife was heading into work and hit a patch of ice and the car spun and hit a street sign and. Did a decent number on the car, but thankfully she's okay and the baby was okay, and so that was that's what praise, matters. Yeah, praise to God for that. So, um, and kept kept her safe there again. Had a great time hanging out with you and Jake. Like, I, I always love seeing you, but I always love seeing Jake too. Like, I don't get to see him that often either, and I just always have a blast hanging out with him. Yeah, I he's remember a, he's a fun guy. I remember like the first time we did it, we all went to Three Kings Pub together, yeah. and um thinking like not really knowing what to expect because i didn't know jake that well then and just really really enjoying that time spent with him and since then i've grown to be where jake is also a good friend and so that was that was a blast just hanging out with both of you guys on saturday even if we did almost die um i don't know how we didn't get like frostbite or something sitting out there in the cold but well you know it was a ton of fun but yeah i had that um yeah it's it's been a, a crazy week but a good week so yeah from finding out my wife is pregnant to Car expenses to all that, all that good stuff. But anyway, it's been it's been really good. But yeah, God is God is amazing, and I mean, just thinking about being a dad is crazy, but exciting. And it's going to be a girl. I swear. Mark this down, Lindsay. It's going to be a girl, and I know because I just know. So well, I, I mean, here's the plan: if it's a girl, then our daughters they can have be best, best friends. friends. If it's a boy, then they have spouses. So. See, Yes, they can, but I already got it all worked out because my other good friend just had a little baby boy, and you're having a little baby girl. And so if I have so a boy, it's an arranged is. marriage with you. If I have a girl, it's an arranged marriage with his son. But either way, there's an arranged marriage coming out of this. <laughs> so, I like it. I like it. Um, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and, and, and dive on into this. And so I want to preface this conversation with, I feel like we're, we're hitting all the controversial stuff lately. Oh, yeah, it's good. Um, I want to preface this with, Mark and I both believe that youth groups can be done well. 
we both believe there are youth ministers who have been placed there by God and are working and serving the Lord and bringing Him glory through what they're doing. We have one who listens to our podcast, Logan um, Sharp, who does the Reformed Gamers podcast as a youth pastor and does a fantastic job at it. And I'm sure there are others that I'm forgetting. Yeah, Tim Drury listens, I know, some. Tim so. Drury does as well. Yeah, and so I was going to say, I know, I know there, there are a couple who listen, and so please don't hear us bashing or hating on on youth groups. The sad... My, my degree is literally in youth and family ministries, so... Yeah. The unfortunate truth is the majority of churches do youth groups poorly, and so that's why we're talking about this. Because um, it is an important important thing in our church, and it's actually like very... I would say very important in the way it's been handled and the way it's going to be handled, at least in America, as far as how the future of the church goes. Because we saw a shift towards youth groups and where they began to be kind of with the seeker movement, um, to be more experiential and more fun-oriented and just stuff that they thought would draw students in because they thought if they could make it church a fun environment, it would help them stick it out with the church. And we've been seeing the exact opposite, where after being fed milk, we, we have students hitting college age, not sure what to do with themselves, not sure how to interact with the rest of the body. And instead of having been given a desire to stay with the church, they're given a desire to go and seek truth because they're not getting it from the church. And, and again, by no means is that a sweeping declaration of all churches. There are youth groups done well. There are youth groups that are giving meat. There are youth groups that are solid and fun times and solid teaching are not mutually exclusive by any means. Um, I just want to kind of lead off with that. But that's that's more what we're addressing is this tendency in the church to make it more about fun than it is about the gospel. So, yeah. Um, I kind of gave my overview of what I think some of the issues are. What would you say, Mark, are the, the main issues you see with the way youth groups are done within the church right now? And then we can get into addressing those in a minute here. Um, yeah. Uh, so I... And we've both worked. We've both worked in youth. Um, I still you're, do. You're still currently working in youth. Um, like I said, my degree, my the focus of my undergrad was actually youth and family ministries, and so I spent a lot of time um, exploring that and studying that and reading books and all kinds of good stuff. But I, I think that what really stands out to me is some of the the primary issues where I, where I think that youth groups and youth ministry goes wrong. Um, the most often is one in in the manner in which that youth are separated from the rest of the church. I agree um, with that. I'm, I'm and B and B the the attitude of parents towards the youth pastor and the youth ministry in general. Yep. Um, yeah. Th- those two I- things I think are kind of the crux of where any other issues come out of also. I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean it, it's it's um, it's a problem when I yeah I mean I don't know how you want to break this down. We can go through kind of look at those two separate things. Yeah, I think we should look at those separately. And I'll I'll throw in here really quickly: the segregation of youth from the rest of the body is not entirely a, a youth specific issue. We see this from basically birth to death. Yep. You have your uh, nursery, children's church youth, young adults class, newly marrieds class, oldly marrieds class, senior adults class, like every every single stage of life is kind of chunked out into their own division and don't really interact with the rest of the church except for in corporate worship on Sunday mornings. When you're really not fellowshipping together, you're just worshipping together. 
And yeah. so it's, it's not a youth-specific issue, but it tends to find a uh, um, a more outright expression in youth. This may be maybe the way to say well, that. Well, I, th- I think it becomes more glaringly obvious because the, the difference is like... So with with like nursery, obviously... I. And, and I'm not going to turn this into bashing kids or uh, children, like children's ministry or anything either. Like nurse, nursery is um, is a great tool for um, caring for for infants and toddlers and things like that. Like as well as caring for their parents and allowing them to sit in exactly without that distraction. And so, but I think that's where the difference is, right? Where you have um, like the nursery or even children's church to an extent. Um, they serve almost as a way of caring for kids so that parents can worship without distraction. Whereas, and it, yeah. Which has I, its own drawbacks at points. Yeah, I was going to say, I have my own thoughts on that as well. But um, that, I think, is easier to understand. And then you get into youth where there is a separation really for no reason because at this point you have people who are essentially adults or about to become adults. Um now, our and I would culture, argue our, our adults. Our adults. Our, our culture doesn't treat them that way. But we as Biblically, the church... Though, they would be considered should adults. Be, yeah. And, and they're, like, the youth is and always... And not by, like, not by, like, biblical times, but by biblical standards. Anyway, yes. go ahead. Like, we see a lot of... For most churches, there there are some exceptions, but a lot most churches, the youth are still a part of regular corporate worship, but they'll have, like, their own area that they sit, or they're... they're like you, you use the word segregated, like they're separated even within the worship service. And that's not always true, and, and I know churches that don't do it that way, and I know even in churches that may have a setup like that, there's students or families who don't follow suit with that. But what the issue with that is you're separating the youth from the rest of the church. And, and when you do that, the youth doesn't see themselves as the church. They see themselves as the, as the youth in the church, but they are not the church. And the people outside of the youth group, parents, older, like um, senior adults, everybody else in the church also doesn't see youth as though they are members of the church. They're just the youth. And I think that leads to a lot of problems um, in a lot of different ways. But, but I think that kind of separation is kind of at the core of a lot of the issues that we see um, and the drawbacks to a youth group or youth ministry within the church. Yeah, and and not not necessarily the idea of one, just the way it plays out. And I would I would tack on there too. You're talking about how like children's church and um, nursery are different. I would say they're also different in the fact that there is a certain amount of of I would say contextualization you have to make to reach children of that age. And so you're going to be delivering a message in a different way that might be difficult to ask a pastor to do from a pulpit while trying to reach adults as well. Sure, like like he can't be expected to. Um, bring everything down to a second grade level. And so I would say there's also some merit in those, in those separations for that purpose, the purpose of being able to teach them where they're at and raise them up as children. But once you hit this, this teen, these teenage years, then we're in territory that really never existed. Like the term teenager didn't come around until the um, 1930s, 1940s. The, the mindset came, came along in the 1920s. And this idea of a, a teenager in some different class, we're going to put there. Before then, you had a child and you had an adult. There was yeah. no teenager, and and that seeped into the church with the evolution of the youth group and the evolution of the idea that okay, we have to take these these students 
and we have to somehow dumb down teaching for them when the argument we both made on countless occasions is that these kids can be learning algebra and trigonometry and English and all these things in school. Why can't they be learning theology in church? There is there is no excuse to not be giving them meat at that point. Um, that's the purpose of teaching theology is because they don't know it and they need to learn it. We're not expecting them to come in being masters of theology. We're expecting them to come in and be willing to learn. Yeah. And most people think that's too high of an expectation for a teenager, which is very, very sad because it's not. <laughs> um, no, not at all. But, but yeah, I would say that the separation um, as far as is younger children down could be beneficial for that reason. I also think there's plenty of benefits to family worship and having the families together. Um, but that's another debate for another time. Yeah, and that's, so, I will say that that's, that's been the setup of the church that we're attending here in, in Michigan. And I can't speak to their um, Bible study in small groups yet because we're going through a, like, uh, we're just starting a, um, who is, like, what is the church, kind of a membership intro class. And so um, that's kind of a little different setup. So I don't know exactly how they do, like, how they separate small groups or if they do any kind of separation in small groups. My my guess is that they don't. Um, but in their corporate worship in the main service, um, there is they have a nursery for babies and stuff, but not even everyone uses that. And most families have, like, anybody that's, anyone that's a toddler or older is in, the worship service and yeah. it's it's awesome to see i i will say that i think that and again i'm not saying that you can't have children's church we've i i, I feel like i keep needing to say that because i don't want to well come because we like don't want bashing it yeah. yeah we don't want to come across, like the model because is I'm not, not bad having yeah, a youth not, group is not bad having a a children's ministry is not not bad. at all not at they all. can just be taken and abused and used poorly exactly um and, but i will say one thing that I find interesting, and the an observation I've made at, at Ventura, where we're going, is that um, these kids who have, because, first off, Reformed people can give Catholics and Mormons a run for their money, money a run for their money when you're talking about um, catechisms, having babies. Oh, like, <laughs> I you say about using catechisms because they do that pretty well too. Yeah, they do. But man, like, there's a bunch of young families in here that are. Uh, parents that you can, you know, mid late twenties that have three, four, five kids. Like there's a bunch of pregnant ladies in the church. They're doing a, um, they were in the bulletin they had. They're doing a double baby shower and at the beginning of February for two different women who are pregnant and like. But all of these families have all of their kids in the service, and I mean, there's kids sitting in front of me that are three, four years old. Um, up to 10, 12, 13, I mean, then you got teenagers. And because they've spent their entire life sitting in the main worship service, because they have parents who are active and attentive to them during the worship service in the sense that, like, they make sure that they aren't acting up or being loud, these kids behave really, really well. And sure, they might they, they'll play games or, like, they'll have books that they're coloring in or different things, but... They're quiet. They're stationary. Um, they're aware of what's happening around them. It's and, almost and they, like when they they're discipled to behave. to behave that way. <laughs> exactly. They behave that way. Again, not not to bash or be like 100% time that works. I understand. There are going to be times, but I think that's where, too, the rest of the body can grow from that. There will be times when there's going to be a crying baby. And instead of 
like looking down on that family for having a crying baby, being like, why aren't they taking them out? As long as it's not overpowering the the pastor speaking, um, I think there's also some some in, endurance or forbearance that has to be taken on the part of the church member to just kind of put up with that and, and listen yeah, to dude. the pastor as well. Lindsay brought that up when we were talk we were talking about this model and like the way that they do things, and Lindsay said essentially like, yeah, like kids might move around, they might make noise, a baby might cry, but out of everyone sitting in that uh, area, out of everyone sitting in worship service, the adults should be the ones that are mature enough and disciplined enough to ignore those things or get past those things and remain attentive. Yeah. Like, that's and not on the kids, it's on adults to, to be responsible in that. And now once the kids get old enough where they can understand, you have to go with the movie theater policy. Um, <laughs> like, there there may be a point where the child has to be removed and corrected. Sure, For sure. the sake of the body. So it, there has to be grace and there has to be responsibility on both sides there. There does. But... But it's, just, it's such a, an interesting model because our old church did not do it that way. Yeah. Well, and th- and again, there are ways this can be done well. Like, I think our church does a pretty decent job of this. So on Sunday mornings, Sunday school is separate for the youth, but corporate worship is together. And then on Wednesday nights, we take one Wednesday night a month to join the rest of the body for prayer meeting for that purpose of having the youth being comfortable with being integrated with the adults. And this was something I started probably about a year ago now. And it was it was funny seeing it at the start because it wasn't just the youth who were uncomfortable with it. The adults were uncomfortable with it, too. Like, there was pushback from, from adults to the youth in there. And not like, oh, hey, you can't bring them here, but just kind of like, do we really have to be in the same group with them? And, and it's been kills cool. me. But yeah. It's been cool, though, seeing how it's grown and seeing yeah, now, awesome. like, on Sunday mornings, students interacting with adults they didn't used to interact with. But now, because they've been integrated in with that in some sense, they're comfortable around them, they talk with them, and you get to see some of that older teaching the younger. And, and it's exciting. So there are ways you can still have some separation but not have them completely separated from the rest of the body. And and so again, and, and I think that's the that's the important thing is is the attitude of adults in the church needs to be that we recognize that the youth are still members of the church, that they are still here, they are still present, they still have a, a role, a position, they're members of the body and need to be treated that way. Oh yeah, the the second quote, the the number 2 quote that takes me off. The first one is the frickin um, preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. Oh, I hate that goodness. quote. But the second most irritating thing I hear around churches: the is youth pastors, are the future. The youth church. are the future. No, they're not. The youth are the church. They're not the future church. They are the church. You've heard yeah. me rant about this before. Oh yeah, they dude, are I'm on the same page. The church. Um, and it's it's so frustrating when we treat them like they're the future because they're not. the The lost are the future of the church. If you're in the church, you're in the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. But so let's talk about some of the fallouts of that before we get into kind of the parents' attitudes and stuff that goes on with that. What are some of the fallouts that occur from separation? We've addressed some of them, but what what are some of the the major ones that you see? Uh, man, one I've seen a lot is when when youth are treated like children, or when they're treated like separate from the church. Um, then they don't get the opportunities to serve in the church that they may want to, or should have the responsibility to do. Um, I've seen a lot of churches that exclude youth from different service opportunities purely because they're youth, rather than looking at different students and saying, yeah, you're an, 
you can res- you you're responsible enough for this. You can handle this. You can do this. Like this is a good place for you to plug in. They'll just be like, oh, you're youth. It's don't like they're they're almost treated like secondhand volunteers. Like they're yeah. they're excluded from certain opportunities, and then when they are plugged in, it's like, oh, well, you just do what these other volunteers tell you to say. Like they're they're never seen on the same level as other volunteers. Like again, they're they're treated like um, volunteers in training, which makes no sense. Like. <laughs> It's just the the way that it, it can be handled when it comes to s- service in the church really bothers me. And I think that's an area that we miss a lot of students who may have a desire to serve and they don't get an opportunity to. Uh, and and we're, missing, we're missing the mark as the church when we don't allow students to, to be a part of the church, to serve in different areas. Um, I think that's one really big area of fallout. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. And, like, honestly, um, so our church has, like, three major events a year, and none of those would happen without the youth volunteers. Oh, yeah. Like, they are such an integral part of that. So to deny that is, is just insane. Yeah, well, um, because generally your youth group is big enough that they're, like, I mean, even a, a small youth group of five to ten kids, there's five to ten people that could be volunteering. But, I mean, how many do you have? you got... 20 25 30 30? yeah like that's that's a huge group of people like in context of what a church is when you're looking at an average church of i mean realistically an average church is between a hundred like 80 and 120 Mm -hmm. but even a little larger church where you're looking at two to three hundred people 30 volunteers is 10 percent of your church that's huge yeah And, and you're excluding them or not giving them the opportunities to serve that they could be and on top of that, when you're just looking at like as youth, they're young, they're energetic. There's a like there's a lot that they can do, and they can bring a certain energy to volunteering, especially when you're talking about different events. Oh yeah, that that other people oh yeah, just especially the ones bring. with little kids. Like they're oh, great. They're great putting in with little kids as long as they're mature enough not to act like the little kids. Exactly. Um, but like the youth tend to capture the respect of of grade schoolers a lot quicker than adults will. And so being able to put them in those positions where they get to kind of be role models and, and, and take some responsibility for those children, it's really cool to watch them step up and see how they handle that. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to have been in a church that's done that well. Yeah, but it is awesome. sad because I know of, I know of churches, that, like you've mentioned, where they don't do that. Um, I'm going to throw in another, another fallout, I think, that happens here that, that I've seen happen um, and that is that when we have them separated off from the rest of the church, you have they like you have kids who graduate from youth, and they just don't know what to do with themselves because they're not used to interacting with adults and they're not used to interacting with the rest of the body, and so they can't go to youth anymore, but they don't know how to interact with the adults, and so they find themselves like in this weird kind of limbo. And I think that is is part of what causes some to leave the church because they feel like they don't belong anymore. Because it's always been about fun, and now all of a sudden it's about something else, and it's it's not it's not what they're used to, and so they leave. Um, and I think the other one too is is some meat gets lost in some youth groups, but I do think there is a sense of like, oh, well, we don't feel like we belong, and so we leave. And I think yeah. some churches try to bridge that with the college ministry, which just gets them through college, and then once they graduate college, they're still in the same boat of not quite knowing what to do. Yeah, it really oh. there, there needs to be more integration in that sense. Yeah, but see, so yeah, those are some of the major parts of that one. 
the the other one you mentioned, which I think is is also huge, is the attitude of parents towards the role the youth group plays in their children's lives. And so a, a lot of parents tend to look at the youth group and the youth pastor as the primary discipler of their children, which is just wrong. Yep. Um, Straight and up. So I'll, I'll let you go ahead and, and talk about that a little bit and, and some of the issues with that and fallout from that. Man, you're, you're giving me... <laughs> You're giving me my, like, soapboxes to get on here. I know. Well, that's because I've been talking for a while. So See, I feel like I've been talking for a while. Um, no, dude, like, yeah, it kills me the when, when parents try to, I mean, what parents try to do is they push their responsibility as the primary disciplers of their children off on the youth pastors. Whether they do that intentionally or not, it, a lot of times I think that realistically, a lot of parents don't understand biblically they're the primary disciples of their kids. That's what the church is for. And so they try to push it off on, on the youth pastor um, or youth leaders, whoever it is. Now, as a youth leader, you have like, generally you have maximum three hours a week with kids. Yeah. Realistically, you have more like hour to an hour and a half most of the time. Like in a, in a typical church format, that's about the extent of what youth pastors have interacting with students every single week. That is not enough time to disciple anyone. I I don't care how godly you are. I don't care how receptive the person you're with is. You cannot pull that off. It will not happen. Um, and, and I think that youth pastors, a lot of times it, it's hard to communicate that with parents, and so they try to take on that role. And I, th- I think you see youth pastors burn themselves out because of that. Um, that that I've seen being to be a common thing. Um, but on top of that, kids just don't learn and grow. They aren't discipled because the the youth pastor cannot pull that off. You couldn't pull that off in a one on one situation, and then you're talking about that pastor having an entire youth ministry and an entire group of of students that they're trying to do that with. It's just not going to happen. And yeah. so um, a book, I, I'm, I'm going to throw a book recommendation in here. Um, and I know that you see this Vody coming. Vody Bauckham's Family Driven Faith. Read it. I beg of you. Like, if you are a parent, if you're in ministry, if you have even the slightest potential of being a parent in the future, um, if you are a member of a church, read the book. Like, it, it's yeah, my exact so words to Mark, though, when we were talking about discussing this, was you have to be nice, Vody. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just know how much Mark loves that book. Like, this was the book that he harped on before he got on to Masculine Mandate. It is. This was his book he would have been handing out copies of. Yeah. I, so and I will, it is a fantastic book. I'll go at, like, I will say that when it comes to my theological application of things, the three most influential books on me are Knowing God by J.I. Packer, Masculine Mandate by Richard Phillips, and Family Driven Faith by Bodie Bauckham, hands down. And this is where you all get to go back and listen to the books podcast where Mark didn't mention Family Driven Faith and then laugh at him. I didn't mention it? I don't think so. I don't know. We had a pretty tight list, though. We, we did. We were we were pretty yeah. trying to cruise through. Um, but, but it is a fantastic book. It's, it's a great book. Um, Especially if you're in youth ministry. Yes, very much so. And that's... Um, it shows the. It does a really good job at showing the role of parents, especially fathers, um, in the discipleship of their families, and how how 
moms and dads can interact with their kids, how they can teach their kids, and how they can be intentional about family worship, um, and how, I mean, Vody Bauckham is a very intense guy, um, and he he doesn't pull any punches or sugarcoat things in this book. And no, so, he doesn't. He just um, doesn't in general. No, not at all. And I know that there's some people may disagree with the last couple chapters especially he starts talking about things like homeschooling and he takes some pretty extreme views there um so when you read that just understand that and know that it's possible to disagree with him on something like that and still um benefit from what he has to say when i first read it i didn't totally agree with him i've come around to agreeing with him more i think but the where he talks about how parents should be interacting how parents should be teaching their kids and how parents need to step up and stop project stop making um the expectation of the youth pastor what is biblically the expectation of them because there's a difference and and youth pastors are there to like youth ministry as a whole is there to come alongside parents in the discipleship of their children and reinforce what parents are teaching reinforce what parents are doing working together with equipping parents to teach um and to to lead their families but ultimately it's it's a mother and father who need to be discipling their children, who need to be leading their children. And I think far too often parents just either out of a misunderstanding of the church's role or an intentional laziness on their part, they, they fail at this time and time again. And I can tell you that it, I've been criticized in the past before when trying to talk about this because I've had parents straight up tell me, well, you don't have kids, you don't understand, you don't get it. And, and again, I hate that argument because while we may not get like how stressful it is or how um, frustrating it can get or stuff like that, while theologically we and biblically, yeah. we know the standards. Absolutely. We know the standards are laid down. And, and, and yeah. experience doesn't change truth. And I, I can tell you that, like Lindsay and me right now, we have a baby and in the next couple months, we're going to have our daughter in our hands. Um and we've already talked through these things and we have every we have plans to be intentional in discipling our daughter and and raising her and we'll be going through probably Spurgeon's catechism that he wrote with our daughter and we're intentional now just the two of us to do family worship because as kids come and as life gets more busy we want to have that habit so that we can continue doing that with our children because it's that important there there's there's little more um, that's important. There's little more that's higher priority than the discipleship of your family. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you. And yeah, it is. It's it's. It is just really sad to see that attitude from parents, and unfortunately, it is the attitude a lot have. And I think I think the reasoning for that though is because a lot of the parents today grew up in the youth group and had their parents do that with them, and so it's just what's expected. Is yeah, how it's, they've it's, been it's a cycle that's been established for sure. Yeah, it's it's what they know, and so they don't know any different. And so, again, not to bash on parents or be like, oh, parents are failing at, at life or anything like that. There are some parents who do really great mm-hmm. at seeing the youth group as something that comes alongside them, and then they are the primary disciples. And so we're not saying all parents do this, but unfortunately, once again, there are quite a few within the church who tend to do that. Well, and I, I want to go ahead and add, too, with that, that it it's failure on two sides. It's failure on the part of parents to be the primary disciplers and it's failure on the part of the the church the elders and the pastors of a church to equip parents to be the primary disciplers of their home 
And when parents come to the church with that um, assumption or that misconception that the youth group is where their kids are going to learn all their Bible knowledge, pastors, especially youth pastors, need to be intentional about going to parents and, one, give them opportunities to serve in the youth ministry so that they can understand what the youth ministry is, what it does, yes, how they can definitely. help, um, what what's being taught to their kids. And more importantly, youth pastors, I think, need to take on more of what would be considered probably a family pastor role in the sense that youth pastors and just elders in general need to be intentional about sitting down with parents and discipling them to equip them and prepare them to disciple their own kids. Yeah. And the hard part with that though is I mean, I know I know youth pastors who would love to do that and their parents who just aren't willing to sit down and take yep. the time to do that. And that's why I say it's it's a failure on both sides. Yeah, it definitely is. Both sides the need one, to do better. One last thing I want to throw out really quickly here before we wrap this up. Um and that is a, a an issue that I see that you didn't mention. And it's actually kind of twofold, but I'll try to get through it quickly here just so we have time to talk about the, the EU stuff. Um, and that is something that I mentioned early on, that there's there's not meat being taught. A lot of youth groups tend to sacrifice truth for flash mm-hmm. and, and theology for entertainment. And so they care more about getting numbers through the door and keeping them coming in than they do about um, actually teaching something sound. And that's just the church in general. That's that's not relegated strictly to youth groups. But we do see it happen or condoned more in youth groups. It's like, oh, they're kids. They want to have fun. We need to make it exciting for them. We need to make it fun for them. And that's not what church is about. I mean, by all means, have fun. By all team, by all means, um, do do things that you enjoy, that let you have a good time fellowshipping together. But don't do it without purpose. Don't do it just for the sake of having fun. Um, if you're doing it to build relationships and you're you're intentionally preaching the gospel as you're doing it and, and you're, you're coming together, that's great. But if you're like, oh, hey, we're just going to have fun because it would be fun and we want something for our youth to do, otherwise they're going to complain that they didn't have events, that's that's a serious issue if we're just having events for the sake of events and doing fun things for the sake of fun things. And then on, on the uh, flip side of that, I think the reasoning for that is because there's not a whole lot of vetting that goes on for youth pastors. It's kind of like, oh, this guy's willing, let's stick him in there. And so a lot of churches tend to just put in whoever's willing to disciple their youth because it doesn't seem as important. I mean, there's there's all sorts of jokes that run around about how, like, oh, one day they'll get promoted to a real pastor because the youth pastor is not a real pastor. They are. They are in charge of teaching and preaching God's words and held to the same standards that the senior pastor is. And so it's not a position that should be taken lightly. Um, but unfortunately, there's just a lot of very unqualified guys who are leading. And, and not because they're like, oh, hey, this is easy and I can do it. Although I do think there are some who do that, unfortunately. Um but I think they're, they're guys who have great hearts who see a need, and so they step up, but then unfortunately just are not qualified or trained or equipped yeah. to to lead well. And so it, it can lead to a lot of, of very poor theology being taught, a lot of that flash instead of truth. Um, a lot of those things, I think, come out of that. And so while there are great great men of God who are in the role of youth pastor, again, we've already mentioned a couple who do a great job, and there are many out there. There, unfortunately, are just as many who, while their heart's in the right place, they, they just aren't equipped for the position. Like, I remember sitting with a bunch of youth pastors once and, and hearing the vast majority of them, because we'd been going through some training ourselves, 
and the vast majority of them were going, why do we need this? Why are we talking about all this theology? I don't care about this. We just need our kids to praise Jesus. And it's like, no, no, you're missing it. If we teach them who he is, if we have solid theology being poured into them, they're going to praise him for who he is. Back to the Shylin quote, which I think is my favorite quote of all time right now. Theology should lead to doxology, but God is concerned with both. He's concerned that we know him accurately and that that knowledge of him leads to adoration and worship and praise. And so I, there's just a lot of guys who are under-equipped, unfortunately, in this position. And I think that's what tends to give it a bad name. Um, and again, not, not trying to bash those guys or say, oh, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing this. Um, th- I think that's a fallout on the part of the church in failing to equip them properly before yeah. they put them in that position. So but that's, again, another discussion for another day, because I think that seminaries exist because the church is failing in equipping <laughs> its members with theology. Yeah. So... But yeah, youth, youth, and minist- again, youth ministry has its purpose, but it definitely, in the same way that a church cannot be driven by events, a youth group cannot be driven by events. There has to be more. There has to be something exactly. stronger at the center. And we should honestly be holding our youth groups to the same standards that we are holding that we would hold the church to. Any other member of the church, yeah, because it is the church. They are the church. Yep. So, so there's our thoughts on youth groups. If you guys have thoughts about that, especially those of you who are involved in in that youth ministry or family ministry, um, feel free to, to post about it in the group or messages about it and, and talk about it. Like, by no means do we think we're experts on the topic. We just both worked in it and, and spent a lot of time hammering out, hammering out our theology and our application of, of ministry on these things. And so we thought yeah. it might be worthwhile to discuss. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into Star Wars, our favorite. Star Wars. Star Wars, live long and prosper. Yeah. That's gonna tilt so many people. <laughs> um, not really, probably. Just about the people who listen to our group, um, or listen to our podcast. So, um, I'm gonna go ahead and go first this time, and then I'll let you hop in with yours, Mark. Sounds cool. So, my favorite era in the EU is the New Jedi Order, which which occurs after the events of Episode Six. The events of episode seven and eight no longer exist in my mind. I have blotted them from memory and decided that Disney's <laughs> seven was good. Seven was it, good. It was good, but they ruined it with eight. So I have to throw them both out. JJ Abrams um, can fix it with nine. We have hope. I'm really hoping he can. We'll see. But anyway, all that said, even if they do good with it, that's still just good fan fiction in my opinion and still not <laughs> canon because I like the, the EU. The true canon is the EU. It is. Disney has no power here. Um <laughs> It's my, my new motto. So my favorite book from the Expanded Universe is one called Star by Star by Troy Denning. Um, it would be a weird one to jump into, so I would not recommend doing that if, if you haven't read any other books in that era. But it, it takes place after the Yuuzhan Vong have invaded, and they are this alien race, which I don't know how you have an alien race in Star Wars other than the fact they come from a different galaxy. Yeah, so that's, guess what that, se- that's what separates them is they've come from a different galaxy. It's the first yeah. race that's done that. Yeah, so that sets them apart. And the other thing that sets them apart is they use no technology. Everything they use is organic. So their ships are living things. Their weapons are living things. Everything they use is organic. And without, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but in this particular book, they have a creature that is Force-sensitive and can hunt down other Force-sensitive creatures and kill them. And so they're using that to track down the Jedi and kill them. And a squad of, of Jedi go into... um infiltrate that basically the place they're holding them and try and kill them off to save the Jedi Order 
And so it's just a, a really great book. There's there's a, some sacrifice that goes on that just rips your heart out. Um, makes a, a certain Jedi in particular who does die in this book look really, really awesome. And no, it's not Luke Skywalker. Um, but it, it's just a fantastic book. It's a fantastic era. It's really cool seeing how how creative like the writers got with the way they use Endbox technology, a lot not technology, but with the way all of their their biological stuff works, and then some of the counters that the New Republic had to come up with for that because they were just completely caught off guard and completely outmatched. Like they were able to to just nuke worlds basically, and so not in a Death Star like explode the world type thing, but in a they would send stuff down to wipe out all technology and all people and replace it with their own organic material. And so it's it's just a really cool time in the universe. There's a lot of really cool stuff that happens. The struggle between the Vong and, and the Jedi Order in particular is really cool to see. And so that is probably my favorite era and my favorite book within the EU. My second favorite time within the EU, though, is yours, and I'm going to let you go ahead and jump into that. Yeah, so so my... I, I enjoy all the stuff in the EU past episode six and everything like it's really really neat um there's a lot of really good books there and a lot of cool story arcs that happen there um my favorite era by far is the old republic though which is everything that happens before um episode one the phantom menace it's all the stuff leading up to that and so i mean and i say that's it's all the stuff leading up to that you kind of have um it's way before most of that, though. Yeah, there, the parts you there's like. two two eras um, that kind of overlap. The second one is technically called the Rise of the Empire era, and my personal favorite story arc crosses um, those eras. It's actually kind of the entrance to... It's what starts the Rise of the Empire, essentially, but um, my favorite book series is on Darth Bane. Um, if, if you were in the Facebook group and paying attention to the whole... <laughs> uh, back and forth between um, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the Force Wars that was happening. And when Bane got beat out by whoever it was, I don't even remember who beat him, um, I was super upset. Oh, it was Mace Windu. That's who it was. It was Mace. Yeah, which, dead honest, Mace shouldn't have won. I voted for Mace just to take you off. But... Yeah, I know, you jerk. Um, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, he he's this. He was the Sith who um, created the rule of two. So he's the one who established that there would only ever be one master and one apprentice. And like the whole progression, like him becoming a Sith, and then kind of his philosophical growth as he's being trained, coming to the understanding that because because at this point the Sith have an entire order, just like the Jedi. There's hundreds of them, and he kind of comes to the realization that as long as the Sith are battling for like their primary source or their primary goal is power, they will, there will never be peace within the Sith Order. They'll constantly be turning on each other and um, stabbing each other in the back and trying to beat each other out or, or kill each other, um, which was constantly happening. And he kind of realized this: there's too many. The Sith cannot function this way. Um, and so he actually lets... There, there's uh, Path of Destruction is kind of the first book that introduces him. Uh, my favorite is The Rule of Two, which is the second book. There's a trilogy for Darth Bane. Um, the Rule of Two is where he he essentially tricks and lets the the Sith Order destroy themselves so that he is the only one left. 
and he goes and he finds himself an apprentice and he starts training her and um he just he becomes this massive awesome awesome sith um and just they they go into hiding so like in in the phantom menace when you find out that like the jedi think the sith are destroyed and so when darth maul reveals himself it's a big deal they haven't realized that the sith existed since darth bane um they've been hidden for literally over a thousand years um which is just insane to think about and the one time he and his apprentice get discovered by this group of like eight or ten jedi they just wipe them out like darth bane wrecks like six jedi masters in a in a lightsaber fight by himself because he's just crazy um it's just, it's really interesting to read and, and you see kind of I, I enjoy seeing the development of the rule of two and how it it takes shape and plays out and that leads into there's a lot of really good books in there you get into darth plagueis which is right before actually overlaps some with the timeline of phantom menace um he he's really interesting to read about that's part of the rise of the empire era stuff and um there's some other good books scattered throughout there one i recommended recently was uh fatal alliance is a crazy good book it builds around a mandalorian bounty hunter and some other stuff that goes on it gets pretty intense i'm not going to get into just describing a bunch of books but there's just a lot of really cool things that happen in this area you have the mandal the mandalorian wars happen you have the jedi sith civil war going down um Darth Revan's a part of this era. Darth Malgus is a part of this era. Um, and yeah. Revan was Revan was awesome too. Oh, Revan like was, the, was the awesome. Great Jedi are, are probably my favorite throughout all of the EU. Whenever that pops up, um, so but yeah, yeah, and again, both of them are awesome. What's crazy though is just how meticulous they are with these things, and like how many, how much, how much is there, how much lore there is around these things. All by different authors, but all cohesive because of the effort that had to go into, into the canonization of it. And so, like, it's, it's just crazy. But yeah, there's... See, like, I like a lot of the stuff that happens immediately following Six that you get with Admiral Thrawn and him trying to basically resurrect the Empire and seeing the remnants of the Empire that Luke has yeah. to deal with and clean up. Um, and I can't think of his name right now. It's Kip something. Um, But maybe it's Kip... No, Kip Asar is from the Battlefront 2 game, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, Kip something um, from that era. Who Kyle was Katarn. That's not who I'm thinking of, though. <laughs> I know. Um, it, it, but it was kind of like that. It was like a rogue Jedi that Luke had trained, and he would he really played the line between light and dark. And so it was it was interesting. Um, but, but yeah, there's a lot of great stuff that just happens in the EU in general. And so that, that's part of why it's just so heartbreaking that Disney decided to throw that out because they had rich stuff to work with there. But I won't yeah. beat that horse anymore. I will um, say, I've started watching, I've been watching um, The Clone Wars on Netflix, which I'd watched some of in the past and have kind of gotten into it again. There's some, like, because the, the, the Clone Wars and Rebels would be considered expanded universe also. Yeah, um, those would be. Which, as even though Attack of the Clones is one of the worst Star Wars movies, the Clone Wars, the Clone era, Wars is era is really, cool. really, really cool. And yeah, the show is awesome. Like, I highly recommend watching the show. It's it's short, it's entertaining. It uh, does still have Jar Jar, unfortunately, but Jar Jar is better than Rose. Yeah, very true. <laughs> and he's barely, like, Jar Jar is barely in it. At this point, He's he hasn't been in it for, like, two seasons or something like that, at least, where yeah. I'm at. So, 
But yeah, um, no, I I love that Clone Wars era. Like that used to be my favorite era until I got smart. But <laughs> um, like there was a lot of cool stuff that went down there. I love the way they handle like Plo Koon and Kit Fisto in the Clone Wars TV series. Like they show them as awesome as they truly are, which is really cool. Yeah. So I also like how Kit Fisto goes from this super weird buggy alien thing in Attack of the Clones to like the super awesome Jamaican ninja in the Clone Wars movies. <laughs> yeah. He's a beast. Kit Fisto is one of my favorite Jedi Masters. He's awesome. Mine too. He's he's really cool. Kit Fisto and Plo Koon, they, they should have survived. They're both amazing. They should have. But, I mean, to be honest, a lot of them should have, but that's okay. Yeah. So, they didn't see it coming. They were blinded by their own power. They'd become the Sith. No. <laughs> oh. oh my. What an interesting no. change. <laughs> no, not really, but yeah, it... That's still, I think, one of the saddest sequences in any of the Star Wars movies is when Order 66 gets executed. Yeah. And you just see all these Jedi Masters getting gunned down. Like, that is one thing they did well in that movie. Um, Oh, Revenge of the Sith is a great... Like, I still contend that that's a great movie. Yeah. It's just some of the uh, script was not on par. But that's okay. Um, Or at least some of the delivery. I don't think you can blame that all on delivery, though. Um, no, like if you're not with me, you're my enemy. I don't know how you deliver that well. So yeah. But anyway, hey, we appreciate you guys listening to us. If you have a favorite era in the Star Wars universe, hit us up on the Facebook group at Error Two Hundred Four Podcast. Um, follow us on Twitter at Error Two Hundred Four Podcast, or shoot us an email at Error Two Hundred Four Podcast at Gmail dot com. We'd love to hear with you guys, interact with you guys. Um, appreciate feedback from you guys. If you like the show, make sure you drop us a rate on iTunes. Recommend us to your friends. We're currently working to see if we can get submitted to Spotify, so we'll keep you posted on that and how that goes. But Just another you know, we, avenue. Yep, we appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate your support and your feedback. And we will catch you all next week. Bye. Bye.